0: Uh, Tonight, I'm going to speak on something um, that many of us have heard before many times while walking with God. And much of what I say tonight will probably be old territory for some of you. Um, But this is something I know that the Lord has been dealing with me about. uh, And it's something that we need to be reminded of continually. Uh, You would have heard said at times, maybe when someone's speaking of the struggle of being healthy, and that seems to be like the one example I always give because it's my struggle. Um, you know, I just don't have enough willpower or my will just isn't strong enough to choose the apple over the piece of cake. And I find myself looking at people in amazement who are able to choose the apple over, you know, a packet of Doritos and just thinking, I wish I had their willpower. Yeah, I know, Jonathan, that's, I thought of you. But you see, <laughs> the statement, I just don't have enough willpower is incredibly inaccurate and false. The thing is, we all have an extremely large amount of willpower. We just use our willpower to choose the chocolate cake or the extra hour of sleep in the morning rather than the apple or the jog around the neighborhood. And the human will is incredibly powerful. And you'll hear stories of people who've been found alive after being buried for days without food, without water, not enough oxygen, and yet they have survived. Or other people that have gone under immense pressure or disaster and because of the human will and the will to survive, they have survived. They've pushed through incredible amounts of stress and we all have that willpower. We were all born with a free will and it is extremely powerful and it just depends on what we do with it. The meaning of the word will is uh, is it is the power of control that the mind has over its actions, our own actions. It is the act or process of using or asserting one's choice. I want that piece of chocolate cake so I will get up and go get a piece from the fridge. I don't want to go for a walk in the morning because it's cold and I want to stay in bed a little longer, but I also want to be a healthy person. So I will get up and go for a walk. It's the power of control that the mind has over its actions. If we want something bad enough, our will has a way of making sure we act upon it. And tonight, I want to speak from this thought or this title when I lay my Isaac down we're all familiar with the story of Abraham. He was around 75 years of age when the Lord spoke to him and said, get up, get out of your country. I'm going to take you to a place you don't know yet. The Lord said to him in Genesis chapter 12, verse two to three, and I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee and in thee, shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abraham, called Abram at the time before the Lord changed his name, took his wife Sarah and headed out to some unknown place that the Lord was going to show him. And in verse 30 of the previous chapter, chapter 11, it says, But Sarah was barren. She had no child. Now, I have no idea what Abraham was thinking at the time of God speaking this promise of being a great nation to him. But the Bible clearly states that Sarah was unable to have children. And I'm sure Abraham asked the question, how does one become a great nation without having lots of kids? I'm pretty sure my wife is unable to have kids. Why did you give this promise to me after I married Sarah? I could have married someone who could have kids. And years pass before, uh, after this, this promise is given. And we see the increase of Abraham's wealth and the blessings of God upon his life. And we also read of the tension between the herdsmen of Abraham and Lot, his nephew, and so we see how they part ways. And we come to Genesis chapter 15, three chapters from the time Abraham had been promised a great nation. And the Lord speaks to Abraham and says in verse 1, fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And it's been 10 years since the Lord told Abraham that he would be the father of a large nation and yet still no child. And he says to the Lord, what is the point of all these riches that you've blessed me with, that you've poured out in my life? All these blessings, if I have no child to give it all to. I mean, is Eliezer, my butler, meant to inherit my wealth? Is he the seed that you speak of? And the Lord responds in verse 4, this shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Abraham, the child that I give you will be your own from your own body look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto them, so shall thy seed be. And at this point, I'm probably thinking, God, you have no idea what you are talking about. (laughs) My wife can't have kids. We can't have one, let alone a trillion like the stars. But in verse six, we read that Abraham believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. However, Somewhere between the end of chapter 15, when it says Abraham believed in the Lord, and the beginning of chapter 16, Abraham and his darling wife, Sarah, decide that God needs their help to fulfill this promise. I mean, God never said that the child would have anything to do with Sarah. So maybe it's another woman that must bear the child. And so Abraham has a child to his wife's servant, Hagar, and they name him Ishmael. And at this point, maybe Abraham and Sarah think, well, this is how it's meant to happen. This is, yep, we've got it. Abraham has the son. It's come from his body. And this must be how God is going to make him a great nation. 15 years later, so 25 years after the first time that the Lord had told him the promise, Abraham is now 99 years old. And I wonder whether or not he had an idea that Ishmael was not the promised son. If not, this next portion of scripture would have been a pretty big shock to him. Genesis chapter 17, verse 15 to 19 says, And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarah thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarah, but Sarah Sarah shall her name be. And I will bless her, and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations, kings of peoples shall be of her. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is an hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is 90, year, ninety years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, O oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant. And with his seed after him. But Lord, Ishmael is my son. Can he not be the one that you promised? No, Abraham. Sarah will give you a son, and his name will be Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant. In chapter 18, we see that the Lord again confirms that Sarah is going to have this child. Verse 14 is my favorite verse Is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. At the time appointed, a divinely appointed time, God's timing. And so Genesis chapter 21 and verse 1 says And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. Finally, 25 years after the first time God had entered into that covenant with Abraham and had promised him a nation, he could finally see that the promise was able to be fulfilled. He had the son he was promised. And when Isaac grew up, he'd have lots of kids. And his children after that would have lots of kids. And their kids would have kids. And Abraham would be the father of many nations. All seems pretty simple from here on out. But as many of us have come to know, through God, he usually has a different plan to the one we walk. Or the one we think is meant to happen. And this is where I want to get to tonight. Genesis chapter 22. It's been quite a number of years. And Abraham has watched his son grow. He loves his son more than anything in the world. This is the son of promise, the one whom God gave him miraculously in his old age. And we read from verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham or sent him a trial or tested him and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Now I was reading this passage again last night and verse two just really hit me. The Lord says, Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. He could have just said, take your son. We all know it's Isaac, but he qualifies this phrase, your only son. God hadn't forgotten Ishmael, who was also his son, but he was saying Isaac is still the promised one. Isaac, the son for whom both Abraham and Sarah waited 25 long years. And then he said, whom you love. And at first, when I was reading that, it looks as though God is, you know, taking salt and just driving it into a wound. Is he mocking Abraham? But I don't believe so. I believe that these words were meant to reassure Abraham. That God knew what he was asking of him. By saying it this way, Abraham would know that God understood what it would cost him to obey and trust him. When we look back on Abraham's past experiences, when it comes to trusting the Lord, he didn't really have a great track record. He lied twice to protect himself while using his wife as a safety net, and then went and tried to fulfill God's plan for his life by using human ability. And reasoning, but we see a different Abraham now to the one we read about in earlier chapters of Genesis. In verse three to eight of the chapter twenty-two says, "And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, and went unto the place of which God had told him." Then on the third day, they'd been traveling for three long days. Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his younger men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. Without any questioning, the word of God doesn't say that he questioned at all. Abraham goes up the mountain with his boy, his son, the one he was promised and the one he waited so many years for. Have you ever waited years for something? something precious and valuable, and then it seems that when you get it, you have to give it back? Ever had a desire in your heart for something, and it's like God is asking you to lay it back down, even though there may be nothing wrong with what you have asked for? Abraham had waited for this son for so long, and yet now God was asking him to offer him to God upon an altar. And this just seems like cruel and unusual punishment to me, But Abraham took his son and prepared to offer him up. There are times in every Christian's life when God will ask us to offer something upon an altar. And for most of us, it will be more than one time. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 to 5 says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath. Or that is in the water under the earth. Verse 5 Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Isaiah 42 and verse 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. You see, God will not share that one special place in your heart with anyone or anything. That place of worship should be reserved for God and God alone. He is a jealous God and will not take second place in our lives. Those things that God takes from us or the things that are in our hearts that may not need to be there are not necessarily wrong in themselves. Having ambitions to have a good career wanting a loving relationship, being financially stable, and so on. But if they begin to take the place that only God should occupy, then we will not be able to move forward the way he wants us to. Three days journey, three whole days of walking, and knowing that what you were about to do was going to change your life forever and cause incredible pain. Those three days would have been some of the hardest days of Abraham's entire life. And I'm sure there were times in that three days that Abraham Abraham asked God how this was going to help him become a great nation. Brother David spoke to us last week at the men's service about that moment of choice, that moment where many choose to leave the Lord's side because it's getting tough. We read about the rich young ruler in the New Testament who wanted to follow the Lord, and the Lord asked him to sell all that he had. There was nothing wrong with the riches that the young man had. That money could do a lot of good in the kingdom of God. However, it took that one place that God will not share with anything or anyone. It was the one thing that the young man did not want to give up and he chose to go away with his riches, but without God. A man once said, when we are faced with a crisis that we can no longer postpone or evade, we have to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or else he is nothing. Choose. And there will come a time in our lives when the Lord asks us to go deeper, and we will desire more of him, a greater revelation of who he is, but there will also be something that we need to lay down. And we can continue to push that one thing aside for as long as we like, but there will come one moment in our lives where we can no longer postpone or dodge that choice. And it is in that moment that we know whether God is, He's everything to us. And if he is not everything, then he is nothing. And we must choose. The Lord says it's either you and Isaac or it's you and me. But Lord, Isaac is my promise. I love him so much. But you must love me more. You must trust that I know your heart and I know the plan I have for your life. There are times when it will not make sense. It will not be easily understood and probably we will not completely understand the whole story until that day when he comes back for us. And the majority of us can probably quote this verse, Proverbs 3 and 5, and yet how many of us actually do it? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. And sometimes God wants to bring us to that point where we have to trust him with everything in our hearts. If I have to choose, I want to choose Jesus. And we must come to that point. If I must have anything at all, anything at all, give me Jesus. One man once said that a covenant is a binding agreement that requires death. It requires death to self, death to our selfish pride and desires. When a man and a woman enter into a marriage relationship, they enter into a covenant When the two become one, there must be a death to self, a death to our own wants, and we must now consider another person. And many times throughout the Bible, when we see the Lord entering into a covenant with someone, we see the requirement of death. When Israel would come back to God after being away from him and the covenant would be renewed, you will read that many animals were sacrificed upon the altar. There had to be death to seal the covenant. When the Lord reaffirmed his covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15, we see that there was also death-involved animal sacrifice. And we have heard numerous times in the past few months about the necessary sacrifice of our own flesh upon that spiritual altar if we want to be in continual covenant with the Lord. There is to be a continual dying to the flesh so that we can remain in covenant and receive the promises of God. The most stunning act of commitment to a covenant in history is when Jesus seals his covenant with us through the death of his own flesh. For humanity to receive the promise of salvation, of eternal life, there had to be a dying, a sacrifice had to be made. For Abraham to receive the promise of descendants like the stars in the sky, there had to be death, death to his own desire, his own wants, his own flesh so that the covenant, the promise, could be fulfilled. Church, God's word is full of promises, of hope, love, peace, restoration, salvation, healing, and the list goes on. But unless there is a sacrifice of the flesh in us, we may never, ever receive those promises. And God may have given you a promise. He may have spoken directly and specifically to you, or there may be something in the word of God that he has given to you. If he took the time to give you the promise, he knows how to fulfill it. God is not a God that he should lie. He cannot lie. And so when he says that something will come to pass, it will come to pass. We know and read scripture that says how much higher his ways are above ours and how his thoughts are not how we think. And that is where we have to trust God. It's as simple as that. The way God does things is so different to the way we think things are meant to happen. But we must remember he is God and he knows what he is doing and he will not lie. Romans 4 speaks of Abraham's faith in God's promises. Verse 21 of Romans 4 says, And being fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, God was also able to perform. In the Bible we have today, the scripture is sectioned off into chapters. And quite often through the chapters, there'll be titles uh, throughout it that explains what that passage is about. And in both Mark and Luke, we see that the account of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane was titled, Agony in the Garden. Agony, extreme and sometimes prolonged pain, intense suffering. And as Brother David said last week, it was in the garden that Jesus had his hardest fight. It was in the garden that he made the toughest decision of his life to surrender his humanity to the divine. And he prayed a number of times. It wasn't just once, but he went back three times. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. My flesh does not want it. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And it was in that moment of great struggle between the flesh and the divine that he felt agony. And we see in Luke 22 that his sweat was as drops of blood falling down. And there are many different ideas of what this actually meant. And one of those being that the Lord was in such agony and burdened so incredibly that the body's pores of the skin opened enough that droplets of blood came out. Whatever the meaning of the drops of blood, we can see that Jesus was in extreme pain, both emotionally and mentally. And there are times in our lives where we feel as though we are sweating drops of blood from the pores of our skin. And the pain seems too much to bear. God, how can I be asked to give this up? Jesus in his humanity said, Father, I know what is to come and it's too much for me to bear. But he came to the conclusion that if God was to have his way, Jesus had to surrender his humanity to the will of God. Interestingly enough, when I was... Looking at the definition of agony, the dictionary states that agony is the struggle preceding a natural death. And could it be that when we feel that deep agony, when we are asking to give God, we are asked to give God something, that it's just the preceding struggle before the death of our flesh? And isn't that where we want to be? Do we not want to be what God wants us to be? Do we not want God to have his perfect will done in our lives? when the going gets tough, what are we going to do? If we turn to John chapter 6, we heard last week that many people followed Jesus, but it was when they were faced with a choice that many also walked away. John chapter 6, starting at verse 66, says, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. Peter didn't completely understand what Jesus had been speaking of. What did he mean when he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood? The disciples quite often didn't understand anything that the Lord was trying to do or say to them. However, this response To the Lord's question shows us that whether or not he understood, Peter knew that no one else could give him what Jesus was offering. Even though I don't understand, Lord, what you're doing right now, or what you mean by all of this, I know that you've kept me in the past. I know that you've come through for me before. So I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that you know what you are doing now. He is still worth following, even when the going gets tough. The human will is, as I said before, extremely strong and powerful. Some of us use it for good. Some of us use it for bad. And my father tells me all the time how I used to be so stubborn and I'd not budge on the way I did or said things. And he would also tell you that it probably hasn't changed since then. (laughs) Sometimes we think, how on earth are we able to do the will of God when we're stubborn and stuck in our ways and so intent on doing things our way? But I want to take you to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We can do what God asks of us if He is working in us. We won't just want to do what God asks, but we will be able to do what he asks. It was because God had been working in Abraham for a long time that he was able to take his son without question, and offer him before God. Every time I read this story, I am amazed by Abraham's faith. In verse 5 of Genesis 22, Abraham says to his servants, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again to you. He knew that God was able to bring Isaac back from the dead, if that's what it took. He didn't know how. He didn't know why God was doing this. But he also knew that God had promised him a nation so large it could not be numbered. And if God promised it, he was able to bring it to pass, even if it meant sacrificing the seed of the nation. The wonderful thing is that just as Abraham believed God would bring about a good outcome, God did. Genesis 22 verse 10 says, And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Verse 16 to 18 says, And said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven." And as the sand which is upon the seashore and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. Abraham, because you have done this thing, I am going to bless you. At the end of this incredible test, this trial that the Lord allowed Abraham to go through, he realizes that it wasn't even Isaac that the Lord wanted When we lay our Isaac upon the altar, the one thing that we hold dear to our hearts, even without understanding the situation, we find that it isn't our Isaacs that God wants. He never wanted to kill Isaac. He didn't need the sacrifice of a young boy. It's Abraham that he wanted. It's you and it's me. Completely, wholly, he needs and wants to be number one in each of our lives. I wonder what would have happened if Abraham had not offered up Isaac. I wonder if he would have received the promise that God had given him. I don't know the answer to that question, but I do know that God needed to do it his way because his way is always the best. Do we always get it right? No. Do we let go and allow God to have his way and then everything works out forever? No. Countless times, I have had to give God back control of my life after my heart, my mind, and or my actions have led me down paths of my choosing instead of His. I look back at my Heavenly Father and relinquish control. Is it easy? Nope, not at all. Is it necessary? Yes. So much so that I fear what will happen if I step out of the will of God. All I know to do is to say, God, You do it. You be my Lord. You show me the way. Keep my feet on the right path. And then I trust He will do what He needs to do. And He will enable me to do what I need to do to follow Him. And tonight I wonder if there's anyone here that feels like they have an Isaac. An Isaac that they dearly love more than anything else. And maybe God is asking you to lay him upon the altar. If I can please have a musician. But God, I don't understand. God, this hurts, I'm in agony. Why God? Why after giving me what you promised, are you now asking for it back? This doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make sense. And it isn't easily understood. But all I know is that if I must have anything in this world, it has to be Jesus. It has to be Jesus. He must be number one, whether or not he gives me my Isaac back, whether or not he raises my Isaac back from the dead, where can I go? Where do I turn? Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. You're the only one who can make sense of everything. So tonight I'd like to open this altar. Is there anyone who would like to make that choice to step out from the agony in pain of struggling between your will and his and allow him to have his way.